Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Thank you for what it is that you've given me tonight to share with your people. Thank you for the prayers that have gone up. Thank you for hearts that are open and ready to receive from you. We are hungry for what it is that you have to say to us tonight. And we trust and believe that we will be empowered and challenged by what we hear from your word to our hearts tonight. Holy Spirit, would you have free reign in us and amongst us and... uh, Just make the Word of God life and light to us tonight. We pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Danielle, good to see you. All right, folks. What I want to talk to you tonight, what I've entitled my message is Purpose Through Identity. Purpose Through Identity. You have been spending some time, or Pastor Andreas has been spending some time talking to us about identity, our identity in Jesus Christ. He's spoken about the cost of that identity, uh, that our, our maturity in Christ is linked to our revelation and how much we've entered into or grasped our new identity in Christ Jesus and allowed that to manifest itself and become a part of our lives. He spoke last week or the last couple of weeks about Moses who at a certain time in his life decided no longer to identify himself with the Egyptians but to identify himself with the people of Israel and it cost him greatly. I don't think Moses had any other end in mind when he decided to do that but Moses chose his allegiance and he chose chose who to identify himself with and that changed the course of his destiny. Pastor Andreas has also mentioned some things like foreign or false identities, enslave and ensnare believers. When we don't believe what God, the Word of God or see ourselves the way God sees us, we're locked in, in perversions, in untruths, in things that hold us back from the fullness of God's potential that is within every one of us. Why is identity so important? Well, identity is important because it is the perspective from which we view ourselves. It is also the platform from which we approach our life. All of that kind of stuff is wrapped up in identity. Uh, And I want to say to you tonight that you are very important. You know, if you weren't important, Jesus wouldn't have come. He wouldn't have died for you. If you weren't really important to God, you wouldn't be a part of the body of Christ. I want to tell you that within each of you, God has placed tremendous value. Tremendous value. Value that He paid dearly for. I feel I need to say that to you today. Maybe some of you have been feeling a little down. Maybe you feel like there's not much difference you can make. Maybe you've been grappling with this identity thing. Maybe you struggle on these areas. 
But I want to say to you that what God has put into you in terms of his word, what God has put into you in terms of his spirit is a rich and a deep reservoir, not only for you to draw from, but also for others to draw from. You are therefore of immense value and there is immense, immense potential for influence in your heart and in your life. It doesn't matter how old you are. I'm speaking to the young. I'm speaking to the old. Uh, it doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in Germany or Zimbabwe or United States. It doesn't matter. I want you to know that as we come into the things that I want to share with you today, that God is telling you that there is tremendous value in you. And never underestimate what God has done and what God has put in you. As we've been praying since the beginning of the year, there's some incredible things that God that we've been believing God for. Uh, you remember that Pastor Andreas articulated those to us? There were eight sections, eight areas. And I want to just reiterate them to you. The first one is believing for a return of the prodigals. Those who were a part of the household and who have left, for whatever reason it may be, through offense, through being led astray, whatever it may be, or wanting to pursue their own thing, we believe in God for a return of the prodigals, those who have been lost along the way. Number two, we believe in God for amplification of our voice throughout the nations, that it would gain greater well, ampli amplification, greater influence, greater, uh, larger audiences, that, that it would reach further. Believing for multiplication of our influence throughout the nations. Influence. What this ministry brings, what it has done in your life, the way that it has changed you, and we have been impacted by it. Let me rather put it that way, because it's not ministry that changes us, it's the Spirit of God. But we are impacted through ministry. We are impacted through people that God connects us to. And we're praying for a multiplication of that impact, directly and indirectly. We're believing for numerical and spiritual growth. We're believing for multiplication of financial resources. That we can do more than empowers and enables us to reach further and do more. We're believing for an increase of open doors and platforms to proclaim the message of, that God has given to us. We're believing for increase of favor and anointing. That's number seven. And number eight, we're believing for souls. These are wonderful things. These are, are large things. And my question that I have for you tonight, wherever it is that you may be, is how are these things, how do you think these things are going to come to pass? Do you think they're just going to happen? Do you think it's just going to, God's just going to do it because we pray and because we ask of it? Or would you agree with me that you and I have a role to play? Would you agree with me that God works through us? That we are His agents for change? That we are His ambassadors? That we are His ministers? And that if we are believing for great things from the Lord, that there is expectation from Him towards us. We have an expectation of Him to move and to do that which only He can do, but would you agree that God also has an expectation of us? That we put our faith to work. That if we are believing for something, that we are engaging with that which we are believing. The prophetic word that God has given us at this time and season comes out of Isaiah 54. 
from verses 1 to 3. And I'll read it for you. If you have your Bibles, turn there because it, it sets the tone. I know, that, I know that God has given us this word for our local fellowship, but also for the international ministry. And I'm sure Pastor Andreas has ministered from this as, already this year. Isaiah chapter 54. And we're going to read from verse 1. It says, Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more of the cho- are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Let's pause for a moment. This verse of scripture starts with offspring. It speaks of one who cannot bear, but who God says, I will give you. Sons, I will give you daughters, I will give you offspring, and they will be more numerous and more numeric, you know, more in number than than the one of the the one who could bear. Uh, and he says, sing for it. In, th- th- there's an act of faith in this, whether you see it or not. There's a rejoicing, knowing that God is going to come through and that He's going to perform His word in a mighty way. So it begins there saying, break forth into singing, because there is offspring here. This is very important. Offspring in this sense means sons. And what is the definition of a spiritual son? It is one who carries the heart of his father. He carries the identity of his father. He is able to accurately represent the father because he is intimate with the father. He knows the father. And please forgive me if I talk just about sons. I mean daughters as well. Uh, But it's an inclusive thing of somebody who has captured the heart of the father as well as captured the heart of, of, of his spiritual father, so to speak. And then it says this, enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. In verse 2, it's very interesting. It says that enlarge the place of your tent and then it says let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. That let them can have different interpretations depending on where you're sitting, depending on where and how you see yourself. For somebody who is being raised, for somebody who's being ministered to, for somebody who is being equipped for ministry uh, as a disciple, let them stretch out your boundaries means that there are people who are speaking into your life. God has given us Pastor Andreas amongst others who is there to stretch us, who is there to challenge us, who is there to raise our level of expectation, to raise the level of faith through teaching us the word of God and through and to bring us to a place of, of pursuing the greater things that God has in store for us. By educating us concerning the word of God, by calling us out, he is literally stretching forth our tents. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. In other words, making more room for God. How many of you know that you can resist the word of God and you can resist the men and the women of God who he has sent you to stretch you? You can resist the work of God through those he sends you. Jesus said it this way, you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. When Jesus went to his hometown, the Bible says that he could do no mighty miracles there because they just considered him Jesus. We grew up with this guy, we know who he is, nothing special or fancy about him. But And so the point is this, 
There's, there's a role that we have to play in, in receiving from God and from those God has sent to us to allow them to stretch our hearts. But there's also another perspective to this, and that's what I want to perhaps place even more emphasis on today. The second part, on, or verse 3 says this, You shall explain to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations. The other, the other interpretation and application of this word says that as a, as a spiritual father who has raised spiritual sons, the Lord is saying, you have raised them to represent you, to carry your heart. Let them go forth and stretch out your curtains. There is a generational blessing uh, and a generational anointing that flows to those who have received from the Lord. Uh, a mantle who have received their father's vision and dream to go out and to make it happen. David had a dream to build the temple. Solomon is the one who got the job. Paul sent out his sons, Timothy, uh, Titus. He sent them out to go and be representatives. Onesimus, Philemon, they were all linked in with ministry. And through these people, the influence of Paul went way beyond what he was able to do. Amen? There was Jesus himself. He raised up 12 disciples. And what did he do? He commissioned them. And what did he commission them to do? To stretch out the curtains, to strengthen the tempest, to take the influence, to take everything that he had invested in them, the value that was intrinsic within them, and to go and perpetuate that and to work with that and to extend the influence and establish the influence of the kingdom of God as they went. Has the Lord not given us the very same mandate? Absolutely he has. Romans chapter 8 verse 19 says that the earnest expectation of the creation awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. So there is something going on around us in the world. It's unseen, but it's certainly felt. There's a groaning within the world and the world doesn't even realize what it is. There's a groaning within. They want the real deal. Earth is crying out for the sons of God to be manifested for the for their influence, the influence and the flavor of the kingdom of heaven to come and to permeate earth and to bring with it uh, the message of the good news of the gospel and the influence thereof as well. So there is something very important, there is something very precious when we talk about spiritual sons and daughters. We understand that Jesus Christ has invested himself in us and we carry him within us and because of the atonement that he made, Everything he is belongs to us. His righteousness, his, his glory, his, his joy, his power, his influence, his authority, his name belong to us and they are there for us to use. But likewise, there are those who have a vision and a dream from God, who have been called by God. This is not, I'm not talking about selfish dreams here. Who have been called by God to establish and to accomplish something during their lifetime. And through their influence... God raises up additional sons and daughters to carry that message out. I want to say to you, there's a principle that runs throughout Scripture that I want to communicate to you tonight. That from the very beginning, the enemy has been after the sons of God. This is about seed. This is about multiplication. This is about generational blessing. 
And this is true even of this ministry. I had coffee with somebody a couple of months ago. And one of the things he said struck me because it was true. But I'd never considered it this way before. We're talking about, him and I were talking about men. Men's ministry. God's birthing things in his heart. He's been with our ministry for many, many years. Uh, must be close on 20 years. And he said to me, Michael... All along, there's one thing I see. The enemy has been after Andreas' seed. And as he said it to me, I realized it. I realized how many people went before me. I, want to, I don't want to brag and say, Oh, look, I'm arrived. I'm the promised child. I want you to understand that's not what I'm doing. What I'm telling to you is I was not the first choice. There were others who came before me, who I believe God called and joined to Andreas to be sons and daughters, to do what I am doing now. And along the way, the enemy has come in and taken them. He has snatched them. There are other sons who were called not to, to do what I'm doing, but who God has joined to, to Andreas over the years. And I've seen how the enemy has led them astray. Some have pursued their own things. Others have gotten offended. They've allowed the enemy to come in. And I see how one by one by one, God has, I beg your pardon, the enemy, the devil, has been after Andreas' seed to he goes after those who Andreas has invested his time, his life, his ministry into. And he takes them out, cuts them off from all influence. Then there are also those who are still around. They're sons. They are the seeds of, the, of, of this ministry to be sown out. But the enemy has silenced their seed. They're around. They are there. They have years and years and years of the word poured into them. Prayers prayed over them. The Holy Spirit working within them. They're, they're, they're familiar with their calling. They, they believe they know what God has called them to do. But apathy has locked up the potential of that seed within them. And it doesn't produce. A seed that produces nothing is useless. Amen? And likewise, a son that, 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 that is unable to take everything that has been given to him and work with that and perpetuate that and, 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 and grow that to bring in a harvest. What's the point? Is it just about me? Is it just about the fact that I can be ministered to and that I can be blessed? Or is there something more on my life that God is calling for me? I want to just look at some examples of some miraculous survivals. Just as I pondered this concept that God, that the enemy, and I see it throughout scripture, has been after the seed of the people of God. I see it again and again. We look at Moses because it starts there. He was the example Pastor Andreas used. Pharaoh at the time killed all the... Why is it that Moses was found... By Pharaoh's daughter. Because they were hiding him. Because all the boys were being killed. All the Hebrew boys were being slain. Moses' survival is nothing short of miraculous. And isn't it incredible, just in God's mercy, how he gets found by Pharaoh's daughter. And then his mother still gets to nurse him and, and, until he's weaned. And ultimately, Moses comes back. But the first thing is, we have to see that God was after... The enemy, I beg your pardon. I've got to, I've got to start getting this right. The enemy was, was going after Moses. He was trying to take him out. What about Joseph? He's, he's got these dreams. He's got the stuff that is bubbling up within him. 
And what happens? His brothers come, they take him out into a field. Thank God for, I think it was Reuben who said, hang on a second, let's not kill the boy. Let's just throw him in the pit. Eventually they sold him off into slavery. And he was as good as get, he was as good as dead to them. They left him for dead. Joseph ultimately became their salvation. He went on to be one of the greatest leaders of all time. He led not just Egypt, but all the surrounding nations through a time of harvest and plenty, seven years, to store that all up. And then what happened? The, ha- the famine came and everybody came. We see in Potiphar's house the same story, just faithfulness. Joseph went to the highest heights that were possible in terms of influence, despite the fact that he was almost taken out. The enemy went after him. What about Samuel? Samuel was almost never born. Samuel was one of the greatest prophets to the nation of Israel. He brought them back to to worshipping God, to regular meetings of praising and worshipping God. But Samuel was almost never born. The devil had shut up his mother's womb. And were it not for Hannah's travailing prayer and for a drunk, a priest who thought she was drunk, Samuel would never have been born. What about David? David was almost killed by Saul on numerous occasions. Never mind Saul. David was almost killed by bears. He was almost killed by lions. He was almost killed by a giant. He survived against all odds. We see a miraculous story again and again. Enemy trying to take him out. Why? Because this... It's almost as though he knows there's something incredible in there. And we look at Jesus. King Herod tried to have him killed again. Same kind of picture as Moses. Taking out all the infants in the land. Take out all the young, the young boys under a certain age. Jesus, praise God, he survived. He was out of the country for his honor census. He went on to be the Messiah. And so we see again and again the enemy's plan... To come in and to take out the seed of God. The seed in terms of the people as well as the seed that dwells within them. But I want to say that that's just the first part of the story. We've looked at their miraculous survival or even their miraculous existence. But in order for that seed to come to its fruition, to reach its potential, to be... To make the difference that it, that it was called to make, each one of those people had a certain price to pay and they had a role to play. Moses had to give up his Egyptian citizenry and he had to suffer along with the Jews. We know that out of his zeal he stabbed somebody and had to run for his life. He spent, the Bible says he spent 40 years in the backside of the desert as if 40 years in the desert wasn't bad enough. And then he comes, God speaks to him through a burning bush and says, I want you to go. He's blown away. He, Moses didn't want to go. And God said, no, 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 you're going to go. And Moses goes and then eventually he leads the people out of Israel. It's an incredible story. But Moses had to overcome some stuff. He had to overcome himself. There was a price to pay of self-denial along the way. To establish and to see the purposes of God. What about Joseph? What about the price he paid? Unfairly had to give up family. He was cast out of his family. He endured harsh and unfair treatment in Potiphar's house. Accused unfairly. Goes to jail. You know, it could have been very easy for him along the way to just say, You know what, this isn't fair. To hang down his head and just 
feel sorry for himself, have a little pity party in the prison. He endured harsh and unfair treatment. That was the price he had to pay. All of that was working together for his good, developing his character, making him the man that, that he needed to be for God to use. Samuel, serving under, an, he had to leave his parents, his mom, early in age. Certain age he went to go live, uh, live under Eli, who was not a good leader. He was a compromised leader. Samuel had to anoint the king. He had to anoint King Saul. And he had to deal with King Saul along the way. He had to anoint David. Samuel had a rough time. We look at David and the price that he had to pay for the calling that was on his life. How he had to run from Saul year after year. Where Saul's reign carried on. There was stuff that David had to endure until eventually the time came and he was anointed king. What about Jesus and the cross? What about being subject to his parents for the first 30 years of his life until it was time for him to, to be manifest? What about his life? What about the cross that he endured? What about the hell he endured after that? Bearing our sin upon himself. Being separated for, from the Father for the first time ever. We see that each of these people not only had miraculous call and miraculous situations take place in their lives to, pervert, to, to preserve the seed of who they were. But in order for that seed that was within them to germinate and to come forth and for the calling and the anointing and the blessing of God to be effectual in their lives, for the influence of the kingdom to work through them, there was a process that each one of them had to go through. There was a dying to self. There was a price that had to be paid. I know Pastor Andreas ministered on that last week. The cost of maturity. That it costs us. All of these things, over time in each of these people's lives, became a revelation of their identity. A revelation of who God had called them to be and what God had called them to do. Deep inner convictions that led each of these individuals to do the extraordinary. To do that which they would probably never have dreamed of in their youth. Except maybe Joseph. What would have happened if any of these individuals along the way said that they weren't prepared to pay the cost or they weren't prepared to give up or to pay the price along the way? What happened if any of them, like I said, just started to hang their head and say, ah, this isn't for me? What would have happened if Moses just, if it, just really just dug his heels in and said, ah, oh God, I'm not going? What would have happened? Nothing. What would have happened if Joseph just hung his head? Famine would have wiped out how many? Hundreds of thousands. What about Samuel? What about David? What about David? If he just gone and slayed Saul or he just ran away and said, you know what, I've really had enough of this guy. What would have happened to the nation of Israel? The dream of the temple. The glory and the presence of God returning to Jerusalem. None of that would have happened. What about Jesus? What about if just along the way? You know what? I am sick of carrying this cross. This isn't mine. Just threw it down and said, Father, that's it. Bring me up. Each of these individuals had to cooperate with God concerning His call on their lives. And I want to say to you tonight, 
that God has a call on your life. But just because there is value in you and just because God has a call and a purpose for you in your setting does not mean that it is automatically going to come to pass. You have a role to play. Do you know what God has called you to do? Do you know the destiny that He has within you? For some of you that might be very clear. This is who God has made me to be. This is what I believe He has called me to do. My experience is that that's few and far between. That people have a very, very clear understanding of what God has called them to do. But I want to say this. You belong to a body. God has joined you to a family that has a wonderful calling from God. And your presence in this family is vitally important. You are valued. You are loved. We appreciate you. And we need you. Yes, we need you. That's why God has joined you to us. There are some extraordinary things that we are believing God for during this season. We read them out earlier on. We went through them. And we agreed that we all have a role to play in bringing these things to pass. My question is, if you ever stop to ask God, God, we believe in you for these things, what is my role in bringing them to pass? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever stopped and said, God, these are wonderful things that Pastor Andreas has given us. What do you want from me? How can I co-labor with you and with the family in bringing these dreams to pass? How can I put my faith in you to work, to make them happen? Our tendency is to think of ourselves more as recipients of ministry than actual ministers very often. Oh, Andreas is a pastor. Michael is a pastor. They're called into full-time ministry. They, they carry the title Therefore, they are the ones who minister, and I, they're the ministers, I'm the ministee. I'm the one who receives ministry. That's very much our, our thinking when we come together. But if we want to make an impact for the kingdom of God, folks, I want to say to you that that has to change. That has to change. Yes, we are all here to receive ministry from one another, not just from one or two. And God has a role for each and every one of us to play within the life of the spiritual family. Some of you are just gathered together in your homes. Some of you have larger gatherings than others. Um, but there is a role that we have to play collectively in ministering to and blessing one another. It is not just for the head. It is for all of us to co-labor. The book of Ephesians. If you turn there in your Bibles, the book of Ephesians, I want to read you something. From, the, from chapter 4. I'll give you a minute to get there. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start from verse 11. Speaking of Jesus Christ, it says, And He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Let's pause for a moment. Jesus gave to the church certain offices or certain giftings. These are people that He has given with a specific role and a specific function. What is that role and what is that function that they are called and gifted to be to the body of Christ? Well, then he goes on to tell us from verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. 
Who is to do the work of ministry? The ministers? The apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors? Or is it the saints? Each and every one. It is the saints who need to be prepared by these people for the works of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or mature man. This is what Pastor Andreas has been talking about. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that is the definition of spiritual maturity, that we should no longer be tossed, I beg your pardon, be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, now listen to this, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That is very encouraging. Do you see by looking at that portion of scripture why I say to you today, there is tr you, you are so valuable, you are so precious, not just to God, but to this body, to the fellowship of believers that you are seated with. Just look around you to the room. God has called you to that. If we miss this point, we allow the enemy to, to stop the seed. I want to say that again. If we miss this point that God has called each one of us to perpetuate, to, to, to use the gifts that He has given us to be ministers and to bless one another, to help one another, to co-labor together for the dreams and the visions that God has given us, for the, the, the promises that He has given us, for the things that we are believing for. If we miss that point, we allow the enemy to stop the seed and it produces no fruit. It produces no harvest. Do you see how the enemy works? He will take those who are effective and his aim is to dislocate them, to misalign them, to take them out from where they're being effective, from where their potential can be realized, to a place where they're in the desert and it means that their influence there is nil. For those who, are, who remain, what is his goal and his aim? To keep it locked up. To keep you worried about yourself. To keep you worried about your well-being. To keep you worried about, oh, me and my problems. Please minister to me. Please help me. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with needing help. There's nothing wrong with reaching out to the body and, 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 and being vulnerable and being ministered to. All those things are good. But that's not it. That's not the full picture. Because God has anointed you and He has gifted you with gifts that I don't have to be a blessing to others. To meet needs, spiritual, financial, emotional, friendship, relational needs. Needs in terms of advice and expertise and wisdom. Needs in terms of grace. Colossians 1.27, Paul writes and he says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. There is such an incredible hope on your life. If you are a believer, 
Jesus is the Lord of your life and if he lives in your heart, there is an incredible hope for you. What is a hope? Hope is an earnest and eager expectation for good. God has a wonderful hope that your life will not just experience and be a reflection of his goodness, but that that goodness will spill out from you and touch the world around you. There is something so great with each, within each and every one of us waiting to come out. The earth, Romans 8, is longing for that revelation of the sons of God. They want to see it. They want to see the real deal. We are pregnant with divine potential. Do you believe it? Has God established that in your identity? Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus concerning this very thing in Ephesians chapter 1. I'll read it to you from verse 15. He says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And this is what he prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know, that you may know, that you may have a revelation, a practical experiential understanding of the hope of His calling. And what are the riches of His glory, in his, uh, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to His mighty power, which he worked when he raised Christ from the dead. And then it goes on. Paul's prayer is that we would be able to catch hold of this. To him, it was a, it was a revelation that was transformational for the life of the church. That if we realize that within us, there was something so powerful, that the heart of God, the potential beating within us was so great, that if we had a revelation of that, we would be so transformed. And that we would, because we would be so transformed, our community would be so transformed. Our family would be so transformed. Our company, our school, our university, our church, wherever it was, would be so transformed because we would see the value of that which He has placed within us and minister from that point of view. No faith or trust in our own ability, but recognizing the, the value of what Christ has placed inside of every one of us. Where do we begin with this? How do I begin to say, God, I thank you for the seed that you've put in me. How do I sow myself? How do I sow the word, the teaching, the, the revelations that you have given me? How do I share the lessons that I have learned that have changed my life with others? Well, let me start by asking you these questions. What are you believing God for? Where is it that you have placed your faith? As I've said, we've looked at these wonderful things. How is your heart engaged with those eight things that we are believing God for? And number two, where do I find myself? Because the only place you can ever begin is from where you are. It may sound like a profound revelation, but it's really quite simple. The only place you can ever begin is where you are. You can never begin somewhere else. You can only begin where you are. So let me ask you this. Where has God placed you? He's placed you in a spiritual family. He may have placed you in a company or a business, in a school, in a social environment, a friendship network. All of these are alignments. They are positions. We often want God to reposition us. But even that process begins 
where you are. And I want to say to you, the way that you begin working this out is by sowing yourself and sharing what God has done in your life with those around you. Within the safety of your house church. Within the safety of your friendship network, which at times when you start sharing these kinds of things, actually may not feel like such a safe place. It's within the sphere of your family. Romans chapter 12 says this from verse 3. Paul writes to them and he says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but not all the members, oh, sorry, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Let us take the seed and sow it. Let us use what we have. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. I'm reminded as I read this of the prophet is it Elijah Elisha who comes to the widow with the with the jar of oil and she needs a miracle I think it's Elisha and she says to him you know I've got nothing all I've got is this little bit of oil and a little bit of flour and I'm going to make it for my son and I and we're going to die when she wanted a miracle what was the first thing Elisha asked her what have you got what do you have to work with what is your beginning point? What is your starting point? Is basically the same. It's the same question, just phrased differently. So your starting point is where you are. The environment that you are in. And I want to encourage you to be thankful to God. Pray for the environment that you are in. Pray for those around you. Allow God to begin working in your heart to see the value that is within the people that He has connected you to. Second question is, what have I got? Well, maybe you've got oil. Maybe what, maybe what you have, you don't think is very much. She says, I've got nothing. She counted the oil as nothing. I've got nothing. It's a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour. That's it. That's all we got. You know, that, that oil and that flour mixed with a little bit of her faith and obedience got her completely out of debt and fed her until the, until the rains came again. It was complete deliverance. From what? From what she had. I want to say to you, what is it that you have got? What is it that you've got? Can you prophesy? Can you sing? Can you pray? Can you share? Can you, are you compassionate? Can, are you kind? Are you considerate? Can you give a phone? Can, are you an encouraging person that can just pick up the phone and just bless somebody else and just encourage them? Lift them up? Do you have the gift of wisdom? Can you hear from God? Are you prophetic in nature? Can you hear what God is saying in the heartbeat of God? Pray for your friends. Pray for your spiritual loved ones together. Hear what God is saying and minister to them prophetically. Say, this is what God is saying to you. Edify them. Build them up. Strengthen them. Encourage them in their gifting. 
The point is this, every one of us has something to give. And every one of us has a role to play. If we are not prepared to do that, the seed that we have received will die and it will produce no fruit. I am tired of seeing the enemy take out the seed of God. Because we are too apathetic or we are not bold enough to step out in faith and trust God to use just that which we have. It's time for this to change, folks. When we read about the church in the New Testament and what Paul says about how we are supposed to work and how the church is supposed to work together, as we've just read it now, each one bringing something. There's an underlying understanding that in order for the church to work as it should, we need to recognize and be open to the value and the gifting that is intrinsic within each and every individual, not just the pastor. We need to be open and we need to learn how to recognize the value in one another. What does that mean? First of all, does it, it means, ask yourself the question, am I open to the ministry of the brethren? Am I open for people around this gathering to speak into my life? Am I willing to be vulnerable with them? Am I willing to open my heart and to take them seriously? Even though I think I may have more experience or I've known the Lord for longer, am I willing to recognize that God can speak through them? Heck, God can speak through a donkey. God can speak through anybody. Am I willing to recognize the voice of God in somebody else? Am I willing to appreciate their gift and their importance and their value enough to open my heart to them and to wrap my heart around them and their gifting? Do I value what God has put inside of them? And the second question is this. How open am I to minister to the brethren? How much do I value what God has put in me? I think very often that's the question we struggle with more. How much do I value what God has done in my life? How much do I value what God has put in me? You know, if a lottery ticket fell from the heavens and landed up in your post box and you got the winning numbers, you'd be telling some people. Actually, no, you probably wouldn't because you'd know they'd all be after it. But if something wonderful happens to you, you share it. Amen? You share it. What has God done in you? Do you value what God has done in your heart and in your life? Then why are you sharing? Are you sharing it? What will you do with the seed that God has placed inside you, believer? That's the question I have for you today. What are you going to do with it? Do you see yourself as a son of the kingdom? Do you see yourself as a seed of the kingdom that God has sown into this particular environment for this time and season to be nurtured to grow and to bear fruit and to produce more seed to sow? Do you believe that you can co-labor with Christ in practical ministry that your life without a title can be just as if not more effective than any pastor, than any evangelist, than any prophet, teacher, apostle. Do you believe that that's within you? I want to tell you that it is. I want to tell you that these things that we are believing for as a ministry are not dependent solely on God. They are not dependent primarily on the faith of one man or one pastor to believe them and to somehow pray them and bring them into pass. They are not dependent primarily just upon our prayers with passivity. They are dependent upon how each and every one of us grasp them, 
They're dependent upon how we see ourselves as filled with the potential of Jesus Christ, the calling of Jesus Christ. And the fact that we know that we're called to be, to, to play a role. We're called to do something. We're called to invest our lives. We're called to sow that which has been sowed into us. To build up one another. To strengthen one another. To encourage one another. Maybe you're down. Maybe you've had a rough time. Maybe these things feel a long way away for you because of disappointments that you've faced. I want to say to you, every one of these great men that I listed earlier on had to face tremendous persecution, tremendous opposition, huge disappointment. Just think of Joseph. Think of what David went through. Think of what Christ went through and the agony and the turmoil of all of that. You know what? If you still got breath in your lungs, if your heart is still beating, it ain't over. Through the words of Lenny Kravitz, baby, it ain't over till it's over. And if you're still alive, it ain't over. Yes, thank you, Danielle. I know. Amen? So I want to say to you tonight, be encouraged. Be stirred up. God has a plan for you. God has placed you in a setting for you to flourish and to grow and to be influential. Don't look down on one another. Understand that the value of what God is doing amongst us rests not just in one man, but it rests in each and every single one of us. And I want to say to you tonight, you are valuable, you are important, you are needed, and you have a role to play. And it's up to you to find out, together with your brethren, and in prayer, and in, and in consultation with God and with His Spirit, what is the role that you have for me to, pray, to play? And that is what I want to pray over us tonight. And then we can have some questions. So where you are, let's just bow our heads and, and turn our hearts to the Lord. Father, I want to thank you that in Jesus Christ we received so much more than just the forgiveness of our sins. That in Jesus Christ we received Zoe, the God kind of life. Everlasting, overcoming, never-ending, always prevailing life. I want to thank you that that life lives and is alive and is vital and working within each and every one of our hearts. I want to thank you for your word that is transforming our hearts and our minds. I want to thank you for the process of sanctification that we are all going through, Father God. Separating ourselves more and more from this world and devoting our hearts more and more to you and to the ways of your kingdom. I want to thank you that today you have spoken into our lives, each and every one, and reminded us that we are not insignificant, that not one of us is immaterial or doesn't matter, but that there is great potential and great value inside each one because your Son and because your Holy Spirit abides within us. I want to thank you for the calling of God upon every one of our lives. I want to thank you that you have joined us to a body, to a group that has a calling and that is bigger than we are, that we cannot accomplish alone, and that you've called us to co-labor with us. Father, would you help us to see the value in our brethren, to see the gifts and to open our hearts to them, that our attitude towards them may be an encouragement, may be something that just draws the gift of God out of them because we receive them with such open hearts. And Father, would you show us 
Remind us, Heavenly Father, of the wonderful things that you have done for us. Of the way that you have changed our lives. The ways that you have empowered us and, 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 and authorized us to be ministers of good news. Because we have overcome something. Because you have done something in our lives. Father, may we never take for granted your Holy Spirit. May we never take for granted, Jesus, that your presence dwells within us. That you have filled us with your Spirit. And that there is... There is uncomprehensible potential within each and every one of our hearts. Would you give us a revelation of your love? May we understand the heights and the depths and the length and the breadth of it. May we be filled with this knowledge to overflowing. That you can do in us and through us exceedingly above and beyond what we can ask or think or even imagine. Father, thank you for what you are doing in us. Thank you for what you are doing among us. Thank you for giving focus and clarity to our faith that we are believing you for specific things. And my prayer tonight is, Lord, that you would give each of us understanding of how we can play a role and co-labor with you in bringing these things to pass. How our faith can find action and we can engage with you to, be, to make a difference and to make an impact. And to have an influence. We thank you for this tonight Father. Thank you for, for motivating us. For encouraging us. For commissioning us. And we give you all the thanks and praise Holy Spirit. Do in us and amongst us that which we are unable to do ourselves. We commit ourselves to this. And we open it ourselves to the working of your Spirit concerning the things we prayed about. Bless this word in it to, our, to our hearts and our minds as we go into this week. May it galvanize our, our thoughts, Father God, and our approach from this point on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.